0: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Our topic this morning is a very serious one, and it is one that got a lot of attention this week in the news the issue of school shootings and school security, and not just that, but security in other facilities as well, like hospitals and businesses and stores. Joseph Dooley is our guest. He is the director of public safety and security solutions for Mutual Link. He also has 41 years of law enforcement experience under his belt, retiring from the town of Orange as police chief, where he was for 25 years, and then he was the police chief for Southern Connecticut State University. Joseph, welcome to the program. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, Morgan. I appreciate it.
0: Joseph, I'd like to start off the conversation with a little explanation from you about what your background is and how it relates to today's issue of school shootings and active shooter situations?
1: Well, you know, early in my career, uh, you know, I, I think most police get into because they want to help people, and that was always been my mission. And uh, when I was in Orange, uh, worked extensively with the school system on safety and, and programs that would, uh, you know, improve the quality of life in the schools. And You know, if I fast forward to the late 90s when Columbine happened, um, it was, all of these are tragic, uh, but I remember working with the Board of Ed at that time to start the system of locking the doors, visitor management systems, passive barriers to channel everyone instead of just coming in and going to a classroom, bringing them to a, a, a main office and signing in. So it's about, it's about, kind of controlling the situation and making sure that there's safety. And, and then intercom systems came in. And then it evolved and then you know I had retired from there and uh, took the position as a chief of police at Southern Connecticut State University in the higher ed environment. And it was pretty clear to me that the higher ed model uh, did not go to school on the Columbine experience it, much because it was uh, multiple buildings instead of one, and there were uh, uh, a, an environment that uh, made it a little difficult to to lock it down like you could in a, a, a you know K through 12 environment. But Virginia Tech in 2007 changed all of that, and so there has been a, a lot of um, studies and risk assessments, and I've been part of that. Uh, to constantly improve, uh, enhance the training, make sure that the, the major stakeholders, the students, the faculty, the staff at these institutions are brought up to speed and uh, and learn ways to keep them safe. Uh, that's pretty much the background.
0: I've got to ask you for a definition here, and maybe it's simple, maybe it's not. What can be classified as a school shooting? Is it one where someone is injured? Is it one where there is maybe an injury and maybe a person killed? Does it have to be multiple people who are killed? Could it even just be considered somebody bringing a gun to school and that is stopped, but no gunshots are actually fired? What counts as a school shooting?
1: It's been called many things. It's called active shooter. It's called active aggressor. It's it's a hostile intruder. Um, Just the presence of a weapon in a school that's either found on someone or detected somewhere in the school is is alarming enough to engage uh, a variety of security protocols, police intervention, um, the school uh, um, administration to get involved. So there are times it's it's just, as you said, the presence of the weapon or someone who's actively coming in there. Uh, To cause
0: harm. What kind of planning is being done in Connecticut schools now to deal with the threat of an active shooter or school shooter situation? And it doesn't even, like you said, have to be a school. It could be a hospital. It could be a store. Are you seeing from your experience and from the conversations that you have been having throughout Connecticut, are you seeing a lot of emergency plans being updated, being created in the first place, um, places where maybe there wasn't a plan in place previously. Are you seeing that kind of effort in the planning stages?
1: Yes, and it's been ongoing for years. And, you know, I can speak uh, specifically about Connecticut's efforts uh, with the the tragedy at, at Sandy Hook and uh, the, the ones that have followed. The state of Connecticut has spent quite a, quite a bit between the uh, Department of Emergency Management and Public Protection and Homeland Security to make sure that each school is doing uh, security surveys in conjunction with their police department. They need to do risk assessments. They need to do a security protocol plan. And it needs to be submitted to the state so that so that this can be ensured that each school system is following best practices, has standard uh, uh protocols in place that people are trained, not just initially, but ongoing training. So that has been going on. There's there's been quite a bit of money on the state side and federal side between grants to what I'll call harden the schools to uh, enhance the locking systems, make them automatic locking systems, use key fobs, use, use visitor management systems, um, Make, make sure that there's card access that can be tracked. Um, all, of, all of that uh, infrastructure, many of the cameras in schools were, were an analog-based camera, which was a little bit older technology. And as the technology increases, so should the security. So digital, digital cameras uh, are, are being replaced and most of this, those systems now they have a high resolution they work in conjunction with access control systems. So there's an interface. So there's been plenty of, of um, money that's been put forth to, to harden those schools. And, but what I see now is they can harden the school, but as we're seeing in incidents around the country and in, in the tragedy that just occurred in Nashville if they're shooting out the window or they're, they're somehow breaching that building through a locked door or an unlocked door, once they get in the building, they could be in a lockdown, but it's the, the one thing that is truly missing right now is tools and resources to provide more information to the first responders that are coming, primarily the police, but including fire, yeah, uh, you know, uh, e- and EMS personnel that are gonna to assist to mitigate this threat. So that that part of using the existing technology that they have in these buildings to uh, provide critical information so that the dispatcher doesn't have to wait for the first responding officer to report back as to what's actually happening.
0: And I know that there are systems that are being developed now and are out there now in which the dispatcher and the police department, the first responders, are able to see like a limited access camera system within the school. But I know that there are also privacy concerns as well. You've got HIPAA for hospitals, FERPA for schools. And so those cameras would be turned on essentially when there is a threat, when police have to respond. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yes. Uh, you know, I, I retired from law enforcement, but, again, I'm so passionate about the school safety issue. And I was fortunate uh, this past summer to uh, take a, this position with Mutual Link. And our company is a nationwide company. It's based right here in Wallingford, Connecticut. And what, what we're about is automated emergency response. And so in, in looking at how uh, first responders respond right now, a phone call will come into a police department or a, um, a communications center, uh, anywhere in the country for that matter, but let's say it's Connecticut. It comes in. It's generally someone who is frantically calling. It's very difficult to understand what the person's saying. And sometimes what initially comes in isn't actually the same as what actually is going on. They're very chaotic. The dispatcher is sending patrols and the patrols are asking for more information, which the dispatcher doesn't have, which needs from the first responders. So if you change that formula and you have a system such as what we do at mutual link, where it's an invite only system, we take all that money that's been spent to, for the camera systems, the radio systems that are in the school, uh, and take those and leverage those and utilize them to get them to the police. We also take the floor plans that the town or city has for that particular building, and we we put a color layover on them. We make the hallways yellow. We we take the clutter out of the, the architectural drawing and make the numbers a bright royal blue. And then we plot the cameras that are throughout the hallways with the field of view, and they become interactive. Those three items get dropped into uh, an, in, uh, an incident that comes into the 911 center. It's a technology such as a panic button or a digital um, phone system with a, with a three or four digit code activates the system. It's an invite in and it's accepted by the 911 center. And those cameras in the affected area drop in It will open up the entire give access to the police to the entire system but a few cameras drop in the floor plan drops in and the school's radio drops into this incident now the first responders through the dispatcher can hear and and they can see we can even push it out to the laptops in the patrol cars as to what's actually going on even if someone's not speaking to them the building can go into a complete shelter in place and lockdown and the first responders are better informed as to what's going on before they arrive and have to enter that building. Now, and and so that that in from my perspective is the missing piece because when I look at Nashville the response was very quick. They did enter that building. It looked like they had keys. Many school systems are giving whether it be a hard key or a key fob for the access control system to get in the building quick And that is a very good step forward. I applaud all the school systems for the hardening of the schools that they're doing. But sometimes either they don't have it on them or that isn't working, and you have the adrenaline pumping to get in there quickly, this particular system can not only uh, drop in all that technology, but can also interface with the automatic locking system uh, for the building and open and or close doors with contacts.
0: So to sum it all up, you've got cameras that are able to communicate with outside responders when necessary. Those are becoming more commonplace and more available now in school systems. If you watch the Nashville police body cam response video, you see that there are lights that are flashing, strobe lights, you hear sirens that are blaring, and all of these are triggering people to go into lockdown mode. And also, now you're saying that there are cameras out there that are available that give emergency responders and police the ability to see inside the facility at a time of crisis. I mean, one thing that comes to my mind, the issue of glass doors, you see that the shooter is able to shoot through the glass and get inside the building. Is the presence of glass and windows something that has to be addressed?
1: I think it is a concern. Uh, you know, these the schools were not designed with this in mind. They're not designed to be fortresses, but yet they have to be, all these c- security concerns need to be taken into place. I'm sure as school systems around this country are retrofitting their existing structures or building new schools, that is taken into consideration. There are films that can be put on glass, but, you know, the level of protection, ballistic protection, uh, can, can vary. Um, I do think that having um, a minimum of the security force or school resource officers or police in school systems uh, done in a responsible way in conjunction with the community. There's no one size that fits all, but if someone breaches that building and gets in there, there should be individuals that are highly trained to be able to respond before the uh, the first responders in that jurisdiction even get there. That is a that is a what I would call a disconnect right now. It's 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 another step that can help uh, enhance the security going to school in the schools with the anxiety that is just life in general today. Parents should feel that they're sending their children to safe and secure area. The schools are working hard to ensure that, but these children that are in these schools and young adults that are in these schools should feel safe themselves. So there are, there are many ways, but it really is up to each individual community to work as a team with the major stakeholders to determine what is best for that school, whether they be, if they are going to use security or police, are they uniformed, are they not uniformed? And so there's a, there's a wide range of, of circumstances that, that come into play, but it really is not, t- not thinking that it's not going to happen. They have to go into it that it is going to happen, and what is their plan? And it all boils down to training and communication.
0: Joseph Dooley is my guest on Face Connecticut this week. He is the Director of Public Safety and Security Solutions for Mutual Link, And he comes to the table with 41 years of law enforcement, retiring as chief in the town of Orange, Connecticut, and also as police chief at Southern Connecticut State University. Now, with your 41 years in law enforcement, and as you mentioned at the very beginning of our public affairs program today, pre-Columbine, post-Columbine, post-Virginia Tech, and more recently, post-Sandy Hook, Have you seen a lot of developments in police trainings getting officers ready to go in case there is a threat like this in a school district anywhere at any time? What changes have you seen and developments have you seen in getting a response from the 90s to today to a school shooting situation?
1: It's been a progression Uh, pre-Columbine. It was about getting to a scene, set up a perimeter, and wait for a special response team. Um, Columbine showed that you need to get in the building quickly. And so the initial protocols uh, post Columbine were going in, first responding officers go in as a team. It could be a diamond pattern, a T pattern. There were many different trainings there and they were taught and it became muscle memory to get in there, work as a team and Instead of checking every single room and and building, you're going to the sounds. You're going to, if if people are pointing in a particular direction, you're going to where the, the intruder is, whether it be an active shooter or an intruder that's trying to cause harm. And that could involve going past people who are injured. It's about mitigating the threat. And then it changed to you can't wait. And if the first responding officer gets there, we've looked at incidents uh, since Parkland, if we look at uh, most, most recently Uvalde, getting in there quickly has to be, even if it's only one officer, one or two, get in there and not wait for a team. Uh, coming back to the technology piece, most of what we're doing throughout the country, I think we're at least somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 schools just in Florida. And in the Texas, Arizona, New Mexico area, uh, the, the numbers are increasing and they're putting them in, and unfortunately, it's post-incident where they're, they're taking this technology to the next level. So the training continues, and it, it, it truly has to be instilled in everyone, not just the police, but in the administrators on how they lock that system down and, and do the best they can to keep people calm.
0: You hear the argument all the time about having a school resource officer internally on-site at the school. You have security teams and departments at some stores, at some hospitals, and other places as well. What are the pros and cons, specifically thinking about schools, though, about having a school resource officer in-house?
1: Everything I've always said in my career, if I've ever given a crime prevention talk or a look at it, uh, from a, from a logical standpoint, there are two primary elements to a crime and there are an opportunity and a desire. Those are the two primary ones. Someone who has a desire to do something, it's difficult to take that desire away, but you can eliminate or at least reduce the opportunity. And the case I'm trying to make is a locked door versus an unlocked door. Generally speaking, a locked door, someone's going to go past that and find the unlocked door. You can apply that. You can apply that across the board, whether it be a house, a car, a business, a school, a hospital. So then there's, then there's the situation of passive barriers and access control. So if someone has to come into a building and they have to sign in and they have to face someone and they're on camera, that's a passive barrier. That's a checkpoint that someone has to go through versus a free flow of just walking in. So these layered systems are continuing, but it's about risk, risk assessments. Where are the choke points in a building? Where are the main access areas? And all of those other areas need to be buttoned up and they need to be monitored with alarm contacts, which are simple to put in, cameras in those hallways. And, but at the main entry points, having someone whose primary responsibility is to monitor the activity, Generally speaking, you, you, you never know what you prevented by the omnipresence of a system or, or an individual that's there to check. You only know what occurred, but the, the deterrent effect of passive barrier systems or physical presence of individuals whose specific job is to maintain control and keep people safe, that is a key to success and all the data shows
0: that. There's a bigger problem going on in Connecticut, and it's also going on not just nationally, but internationally, and that's the problem of swatting, where somebody calls in a threat, it turns out that it's not credible, but it draws a large response of police officers, be it to a school or some other kind of facility. Lately, they've been happening a lot with schools. How do we address swatting?
1: Traditionally, in previous years, it may have been someone who was disgruntled and maybe made an f- anonymous phone call and reported it to the police or, or reported it in some ha- fashion at, at a residence and it's causing a police response. Uh, it's gone from that more localized level to now internationally and with the internet There are, I think it was this fall, there were 28 states in this nation that were simultaneously swatted about incidents that were occurring that that did not occur. And so the internet's a wonderful thing, but it's also uh, a very evil uh, tool at times. And those swatting incidents create panic, and then you're dealing with social media, and then you're dealing with communications that are going out with fictitious information, which make the panic even worse. Um, we need to be cognizant of it. They need to be investigated. Uh, if I go back to the the type of technology that exists today, and especially with what we're doing at mutual link, if something were to get activated and the police were responding and they're looking at the cameras or listening to the radio, or they're talking to someone on that radio and in looking at the system, they don't see the, type of chaos or people running in the hallways generally that that information is powerful to de-escalate the response and it's one way to try and mitigate all that chaos that could there so in other words the the fictitious incident or the false incident can quickly be mitigated the police are still going to come but they're going to come in a a lesser aggressive response as if it was the real incident
0: Joseph, I really appreciate your insight on this issue and some of the other problems that we talked about this morning on Face Connecticut. And I just want to know if there's any final thoughts as we finish
1: up. My heart breaks for all the victims of these tragedies. And my, my hope is that uh, we all come together to try and find solutions. And as I say, not there isn't one size that fits all, but the safety of of in schools and, and people in our communities are critical and hopefully this discussion will occur on, on multiple fronts to try and um, stem stem this issue slow it down and ultimately eliminate it and keep people better informed
0: joseph I really appreciate your insight and I'd love to do another update with you down the line thank you so much
1: thank you Morgan. thanks for your time
0: have a good one bye-bye Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.
2: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us. And four lines for $25 per line per month. with Eligible trade-in when you switch.